The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Go put a band-aid on it. Welcome to Besides Still Waters. I'm glad you can join me for our Put a Band-Aid on It segment. This is going to be somewhat of a negative subject, but necessary nonetheless. We're looking at the anatomy of a fall. The anatomy of a fall. What causes the disciple, the devotee of our Lord Jesus, to go off course to such an extent that their life loses impact and uh, effectiveness uh, in their service to our God and Savior. And we're going to be dealing with this in other segments to come, uh, what-if segments, but we're looking at the what-if segment on the negative side. However, for our purposes, what is the anatomy of a fall? What causes us to go off course? Proverbs chapter 2, the first five verses or six, addresses this issue. And the exhortation, which is to, uh, from Solomon to Rehoboam, his son. And he says, My son, if you will receive my words and hide your commandments with you. And he goes on to say, So that you incline your ear unto wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. If you cry after knowledge and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek it as silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And then he gives the promise. Now, of course, Solomon is the only one who can really speak confidently about what he's saying because he was blessed with wisdom and understanding above all men who ever dwelt on the earth. And he says, For the Lord gives wisdom, and out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So you say to yourself, okay, well, this is a guarantee of my success to embrace and treasure in my heart, in my innermost being, in the seat of consciousness, the very source and foundation of my affections. If you cry after knowledge, lifting up one's voice to God to open my understanding concerning the truths in the scriptures, And give me a heart that truly treasures what you say, the testimony that God gives of himself. He says, you'll understand what reverence, what the fear of the Lord is, 
and you will grow in your knowledge of who God is because he himself is the very source of that wisdom. Now, here is the anatomy of a fall. Let's boil this down to its bare essentials. And that's what I want to give to you today, the bare essentials. It begins with a heart whose affections have been turned away from God. The heart of a person whose affections have been turned away from God. And what does that mean? Well, there's no relish, there's no desire, there's no pleasure found in quiet time alone with God, listening and hearing from Holy Writ, from his scriptures, from his word. And what happens is there's going to be a vacuum. There's no laying up, no treasuring in one's heart. The testimony that God gives of his works, his word, his wisdom, his dealings with men and nations and circumstances, his ability to change circumstances. In the scriptures, we are getting a revelation of the very person and, if you will, personality of God. And that body of knowledge is not embraced. Now, we're talking about those who are disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. And also, Solomon said, if you cry after knowledge, you lift up your voice to God, give me an understanding heart so that I might please you. Well, this too is absent. Sometimes we, we skinny it down to Oh, well, you're not praying. But it's really more than that. It's not just that I have a devoted time alone with God, but the driving passion of my heart, which is to lift up my voice and recognize the depth of my need that is absent. And he says, you'll understand. So there's no treasuring in the heart and there's no crying out to God for a wise and understanding heart that pursues him. So essentially, in verse 6 of the second chapter of Proverbs, he says, it's the Lord that gives wisdom. He's the very source of it. It comes out of his mouth. There is no other source. You can read all the books in the Library of Congress, and it's still will not be comparable to what God is able to give you. He helps you to see what's unseeable. He helps you to perceive what cannot be perceived with the naked eye. It comes from him. He is the source. And if you're looking in any other way, you, we, I have dishonored the person and name of the eternal God of heaven because we have relegated him to a secondary position in our hearts and in our lives. The heart affections have been turned. Now, there's a, a second component to it, if you will, 
and it is found in uh, chapter 3, or the beginning of it is found in chapter 3 of Proverbs. And it's a warning. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. And of course, the Spirit of God gives a promise. It shall be health to your navel and marrow to your bones. It will produce physiological and spiritual health. It touches all levels of your life. But here it is. We're considering the anatomy of a fall. The first major step in decline is that the heart affections have been turned. The second most important step is that your self-assessment has been elevated. He says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't conclude to yourself that the body of knowledge from which you are determining your next step is sufficient to see the big picture. You and I don't know everything there is to know about being successful in one's spiritual walk. Here we are talking about being beside still waters. The phrase that suggests time, intimacy, closeness, quiet with God, to hear, to be strengthened, to be led by the Spirit of God, that our life, our walk, our witness will be clearly evident. Our words will simply support our living and not the contrary. Be not wise in your own eyes. So I ask you, what is your self-assessment? What is your self-assessment? What is your disposition and sentiments towards God? Well, he says, fear the Lord, depart from evil. To recognize evil, to recognize that which is contrary to the mind, will, affections of a holy God can only be seen if and only if he gives us eyes to recognize, to see the risk, and to turn away. There are innumerable examples of people in the scriptures, those who were walking with God, as the saying goes. And Solomon is a, a great example of a man who started out very well, exceptionally well, but he ended poorly. Why? He never followed his own advice. He was wise in his own eyes and did not recognize the evil when it presented itself to him. And we will see that in an upcoming conversation uh, beside still waters. What is your disposition? What is your opinion? What is your sentiment towards what displeases our holy God and Father? Ask yourself this question. Examine yourself 
as I examine myself, what is my disposition? What is my conclusion about that which displeases God? And it is suggested that when I don't depart from evil, I have made an assessment about who God is and about the circumstance that I'm currently making a decision on. And now I will find myself to be in a predicament. Why? Because I have elevated my self-assessment. I have, if you will, elevated myself above God and become the uh, determinator of what is good as opposed to searching the scripture to find both precept and example of what evil is, what good is, and what are the promises associated with taking the path that pleases God. My friend, you and I cannot have an intimate, life-changing experience of the living God both without, that is, seeing answers to prayer, and within, that is, the witness of his Spirit that we are the sons of God, that he strengthens us against our natural, if you will, evil inclinations and enables us to live a life dependent upon his grace day by day. He says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart. And to give the exhortation to depart, it is suggested that we are clearly cognizant of what is evil. What happens when we fail in this capacity? What are the consequences? What should we expect? Well, <laughs> Solomon took the time to address this. Again in Proverbs, the 12th verse of the 26th chapter, he says, do you see a man who's wise in his own eyes? He says there is more help or more hope for a fool than for that man. This is the risk of elevating oneself in one's own eyes. I'm good enough. I know what I'm doing. No, we don't. If we did, we would have no dependence upon God. We would know as God knows. But clearly, even the wisest man is giving us, if you will, heaven-sent advice, exhortation. Do you know someone who feels that they know enough about a matter, both the evil and the good of it, and they're perfectly capable of making a good decision? apart from the counsel and guidance of the Spirit of God, there is more hope for a fool. In other words, <laughs> typically in the scriptures, a fool is one who has concluded there is no God, suggesting that they have searched the far reaches of the universe and could not find God. And Solomon is saying, 
the person who elevates themselves to a place where they have negated the input and presence and grace of God, in fact, they have declined the offer, he says there's more hope for, there's more hope for a fool. There's more hope for a man who, never having searched the universe, concludes there is no God as compared to this man who believes there's a God but has elevated himself or herself above God and have become a self-determinating individual concluding that I know enough about good and about evil and I don't need the counsels of God. There is more hope for a fool. But let's 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 think about something. Let's let's consider the following. We you know, we're asking ourselves if if I'm wise in my own eyes, if I've elevated myself to a place where I don't need the counsels of God. Now, this is not outright apostasy. It's just a taking of one's own life and guiding one's footsteps apart from the input, grace, presence, awareness of my accountability to God as a son of God. Paul, in writing to the uh, church at Ephesus, says that there's one Lord and one faith and one baptism. And then he says this, there's one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. So right away, I am making decisions concerning my prosperity or my growth or my uh, deepening of my affections for God and his ways and his commands. I'm growing in my intimacy with God, in my experience of his daily grace to live the Christian life. And Paul gives us a, a pivotal truth that this God who is above all and through all, everything that has life springs from him who himself is the source of life. He's the only real living being in the universe who is, if you will, self-existing. He's not dependent upon something with which to sustain his life. He is a self-sustaining, life-giving, eternal, holy person. And the glory and honor that he has given to us is that he wants to live in us by his spirit. But we are thinking about the anatomy of a fall. Well, the heart affections have been turned away from this indwelling holy God. And this is, this is a fundamental uh, uh, truth of great magnitude that the Spirit of God lives in us. The God of creation, the God of glory, the eternal Father, the Father and the God of our Lord Jesus Christ lives in us. And when my affections have been turned away 
I have moved some other object and made it my object of affections and made this God, this living God who indwells me, of secondary value. And so the recognition that he is in me, I have now become blind to it. I'm blind to it. I have become wise in my own eyes. And my humble, heartfelt dependence upon the Spirit of God to enliven, to empower, to enlighten has been placed, if you will, on the shelf and I have elevated myself as the <laughs> supposed self-existing being. One God, one Father, who is above all and through all and in all. There's a, a similar thought that's also communicated uh, to us in uh, Romans, uh, I believe it is chapter 11. And it says this, similar to what we just uh, considered in uh, the book of um, Ephesians. And Paul says, For of him, that is of God, and through him, and to him, are all things. Okay, it springs from him. It finds sustenance and existence through him. And the purpose and objective for its existence is to him. And this applies to all things. It applies to you and me. It applies to the trees that exist and the animals on the earth and the fish in the sea and the wonders of the heavens and of the galaxies. It is of him. It sprang forth from his creative, all-wise power and understanding. It is through him that it finds its existence. And its purpose for existing is to him. And that's why we are here. But when I have made myself wise in my own eyes, when I have turned my heart's affections from him, I have severed the connection that keeps me, that enlivens my spiritual life, that deepens me and gives me the awareness that God is not only with me, but he is in me by his spirit. And the desire to live unto him is what is enlivened by him. For of him, through him, to him are all things. And then Paul capsulates it with, to whom be glory forever. And my friend, when I conclude that I am wise in my own eyes, when my affections have been turned away, I am on a sure path to putting God on the shelf and robbing him of the glory that he is due. A final thought, and this is the, the final piece of the puzzle. The first piece is my heart's affections have been turned. 
the second is I have elevated myself in my own eyes. Now, this is this third piece pertains to the physical universe that I'm existing in. If you were to uh, consider, I believe it's the Gospel of Luke, and it might be around chapter 8-ish, and the, the Lord Jesus was teaching about the sower who went forth to sow, and he talked about where the seed fell, and some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled underfoot by, by people. And the birds of the air swooped down and plucked up the seed, and some fell among stony ground, and others fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. And when he started uh, expounding on this, and he said that the seed which fell among the thorns are they when, when uh, pertaining to people who've heard the message of the kingdom of God, they go forth, and that message does not take root, doesn't bear fruit. They're choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of this life, the things that people can see. Now, we do have cares in this life. There are things we have to attend, and you know we would want to be successful in our business and personal endeavors, of course, and, and you know we enjoy pleasurable times, friends and family, and so forth, and activities. But this is more than that. This is the objective of this person's life. And now we are talking about the devotee of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and how is it that this person who has committed themselves to walking with God, to abiding beside still waters, the quiet places with God, how is it that their lives have gone off course? They've been derailed. And he says that they have made the object of their affections, the things that are seen, external things, material things. And this certainly is not um, uh, an opportunity to uh, suggest that material things in and of themselves are unworthy or bad or evil. Absolutely not. But when we have made it the object of our affections and have removed our affections from crying out to God for wisdom and understanding, searching the scriptures to gain light and enlightenment about the nature and person of God and the will of God, when we have, if you will, detached our affections from matters eternal and have attached them to matters that are temporal, we have taken the third step to falling. And so those whose hearts were consumed with the material, the tangible, the temporal, find themselves not growing in affection, in uh, uh, spiritually, if you will, uh, in a greater awareness of the presence of God, and they stop seeing answers to prayer. In Genesis, uh, our forefather Adam 
faced the same temptation because we are told that the serpent said unto the woman after hearing the word of God that the day she eats of the, the fruit that was forbidden, she shall surely die. And of course, Satan countered that word by simply saying, you shall not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes shall be opened. You'll be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now, it's rather interesting. They didn't know what evil was. So it was a real, if you will, a carrot <laughs> to pursue an object. I'm going to know, I'm going to have a body of knowledge that I don't possess. This is going to be something completely new. And I will be the same as my creator who created me. I'm going to be like God. I'm going to have open eyes. Now, their eyes were open, but they were innocent. They never knew what evil was. And the narrative told us that when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to the eyes. Now, it looked differently, like, oh my. Now that she's entertaining, now that the affections of her heart have been detached from the counsel and wisdom and command of God, now that she has become, if you will, wise in her own eyes, the thing that was forbidden now looks appealing. And she ate and gave also to her husband, and he did eat, and instantly their eyes were open. Instantly their eyes were opened. That's a sad account, but it's a clear example of the anatomy of a fall. Let's look at one more. Uh, this was King Solomon, and, and we're going to uh, examine his life uh, in more detail, perhaps in the next podcast or two. But King Solomon, we're told in 1 Kings 11, that he loved many foreign women. And many of them were from the, the people groups, the local people groups that they were forbidden in the scriptures not to go into them, nor let them come into you because they will turn away your heart after their gods. But Solomon cleaved to them in love. So he had an appetite for many wives. And he had 700 wives. <laughs> and we are told that when Solomon was old, that those very wives turned his heart after other gods. His affections, his affections. Again, I repeat, his affections. The affections of his heart were turned away from God to other gods. He turned away from the source of life to lifeless gods. He turned away from the source of wisdom and understanding that made him who he was. And he became wise in his own eyes, thinking that, I can handle this. And what happens? They turned his heart from God. My friend, what about 
you. What about you? Where are you today? Has your heart turned from God? Is the time alone with God lacking the sweetness that it once had? Is the searching of the scriptures for wisdom and understanding by the Spirit of God and His enlightening power, has that experience paled for the pursuit of things that are temporal? Has love for the eternal grown cold? The anatomy of falling away from a love for God It only takes three steps. Three steps alone. Having your heart affections turned from God. Has yours turned? Elevating yourself in your own eyes. Being wise in your own eyes. And then lastly, pursuing the things that I see, the temporal things of life, while sacrificing the eternal. Oh, my friend, I appeal to you as I often do. Take time to examine yourself. Take time to see that you're still walking in the way, abiding with the Lord dwelling beside still waters. May God help us to resurrect again those sweet affections for his presence, his will, his grace, the wisdom and understanding that he gives for his glory and the benefit of others. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in. And we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.